Today's message is a combination of two sermons, so it's going to be long, but worth the listen. And with that said, let's get started. In today's world, a person's wants and needs are basically screwed up. No joke. We are able to vaccinate the world, yet cannot feed those who are starving. Gender recognition takes priority over homeless persons. The desire for clout over employment and personal development. These misdirections and priorities have created an explosion of needy, hypocritical, and entitled individuals. Yet, we can love these people the same as those who have a fulfilling life with God and Jesus. How do I know? Well, the Bible tells me so, as the old song goes. First, we're going to address the needy portion of these individuals. While hypocritical tendencies are more prevalent, it is the understanding of needs that can begin our change to love one another. I am not saying this lightly, and not without an understanding of the psychology of needs. Uh, Abraham Maslow defined a hierarchy of needs in his 1943 paper, A Theory of Human Motivation, which is also in his book, Motivation and Personality. Now, this hierarchy described as a pyramid, or its two-dimensional cousin, the triangle, is divided into five levels and three core need identifiers. The levels, as I have on the screen now, are from bottom to top, physiological, safety, relationships, esteem, and finally, self-actualization. And these five levels are grouped together, again, from bottom to top into basic needs, psychological needs, and self-fulfilling needs. Now, it is argued that this theory, and yes, it is still a theory, cannot be reasonably tested and that needs are not really hierarchical. My argument is that psychological theories are hard to really fully test because the ability to maintain a control response is almost near impossible. Uh, Not one individual is the same, but may have similar psychological traits within a group. Okay, so enough of this, and let's get on to the main point. There is a, there is a true distinction between people in, in need and needy people. A person in need is one who has hit hard times, and one or more of the deficiency needs, that is, the first four levels from the bottom, is removed or really severely decreased. And we have seen this occur in the past on a global as well as a local scale. I mean, layoffs, recessions... Even the Great Depression is the best example. But it's not just relegated to, you know, those type of incidences, which are basically economic factors. Disasters, natural or man-made. Even minor weather changes can destroy the stability of the pyramid as well. Think of famine in Ethiopia, wildfires in Australia, and you get the picture. A needy person is... The one you see at Black Friday sales, kicking, punching, and running to get the best discount on something they may or may not actually need in the home. I don't need the latest Apple iPhone, but I do need a cell phone for my work. I don't need an NVIDIA TI-3070 when my 2070 RTX works just as good on my one-year-old gaming system. I don't even need a 27 RTX in my five-year-old streaming slash editing system when the 1060 GTX, you know, it does the job. The point is, a needy person wants something for little to no work and expects it every time 
sometimes being the latest and greatest. So how do we handle it? You know, we want to help them, but not to continue the enabling process with their behavior. And that, again, begs the question, you know, what do we do? Well, first, we give strategically. And it may not be what the person wants, but it will help them in the path to their need. The great example is, you know, Peter and John, when they went to the temple and met a crippled person in Acts 3. When he saw Peter and John, about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, Look here. He looked up, expecting to get something from from them. But Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. So as you can see, instead of a coin, which was easy to give, Peter decided to heal the man's legs. And in doing so, the man no longer needed to beg and could be a productive member of society. Now, at this time, being a productive member in society was very honorable and highly respected. So in this one act, Peter ensures that the need pyramid is fulfilled by the formerly crippled man, thus creating a long-term solution instead of an immediate solution. Now second, what we do is we serve wisely. And while we do take time for others, we have to remember that we need time for ourselves. You know, you cannot help people if you are sick in bed because you are exhausted from service. And Jesus kind of did this, and it is outlined in Mark 1. While it was still night, way before dawn, Jesus got up, went out to a secluded spot, and prayed. You see, Jesus himself, after giving messages, healing, and raising the dead, still took care of himself. He designated a time and place to be alone. He prayed so he could continue the works outlined for him by God. Okay? You know, how many times have our doctors said, you know, you need to take some time off? And finally, for this section, and actually this is also the most important, we must trust God completely. Hey, we need to understand that we cannot be everywhere, right? We cannot rescue everyone who needs help. This is why we, you know, this is why we put our full faith in God. Where we cannot go, you know, God will provide we may not see it, hear it, but we know, must know that in being faithful and having great faith in God, the needy are taken care of, and not just the ones in need either. You know, we have Galatians 6 to remind us of this. You know, it says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness ignores the needs of the others, ignoring God. Harvests a crop of weeds. Seriously. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But one of those who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life. An eternal life. Now wait, you say. It says here that if I ignore the needs of others and ignore God, I harvest a crop of weeds. 
That just contradicts what you said about putting faith in God, letting him help those I can't help. Okay, no. Okay? Do not look at this passage deeply and with a critical eye. The meaning here is really simple. While you may not be able to help the needs of everyone, just thinking about those people praying to God about their needs is not ignorance. Because you identified and maintained the thoughts of those needs, you have not ignored the individual or the individuals, but, put, but continue to maintain that focus for which God will then help. You know, this is why we have prayer requests, which are returning soon, and being the central core in the greater guild. You allow us to know what the need is, whether spiritual, physical, psychological, or financial. And either we here at the guild can actually help directly, or we pray with you to bolster your prayer and faith in God to rectify the issue. So that first half about needy people we're, we're pretty much set on. Now, let's get to the second half of this message because it's also one of the most visible in our lives. You know, hypocrites. You know who these people are. You know, they give advice and not heed it themselves. They look rich, but in reality they have high amounts of debt. You know, it's also these people are always saying that donations are not mandatory. But they always beg for money anyway, and I'm looking at you, DSP. And finally, and this is my personal favorite, does not practice what they preach. <laughs> okay. So, in these examples, it's odd that you understand that we're going to have to understand really what the core meaning of the hypocrite is. And it, and it comes from Greek, meaning pretender. Or, in reality also, it was used as uh, to identify an actor on the stage who wears a mask, showing a different visage over their true form. And this is an excellent word that fully describes the persons in the aforementioned examples. Now, I know, many just wanted to listen and not learn. I get it, you know. So, how do I help the hypocrite in our lives? Or, how do we do that while maintaining our composure? Well, in general, prayerful confrontation is your best response. What that means is you have to take three steps when confronting a hypocrite. And the first is prayer for restoration. Going back to Galatians 6, your response should be one of guidance, not judgment, which is lost on a lot of pastors these days. And I will not be the first to admit it. And I'll probably be not the last. But it's true. You have to judge. You can't judge people. If you're going to, you know, guide people and help them, it's really, as I said, guidance, not judgment. So in Galatians six, it says, "If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourself." You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed share their burdens, and to complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. This goes when confronting believers and non-believers, believe it or not. I know, it's all cross-platform. scary. The second type of prayer is one of careful confrontation. Confront the person respectfully and alone, or in a small group if the issue requires it. You do not go on social media and definitely don't 
confront anybody in public. You know, social media, which is also very public, you know, is the best example of how not to confront people. Period. End of story. Remember, as previously stated, if you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. The individual may or may not share in your beliefs, but are to still be respected and confronted in a way that does not make a tense or combative situation. You know, your pride is worse than any hypocrite's actions and will destroy any positive momentum in restoration. Now, this leads us to our final prayer, one to protect you from being the hypocrite. Yes, it can happen. Happens to me, and it even happens to the heroes of the Bible. The most well-known hypocritical action comes from King David. After his adultery with Bathsheba and the murdering of Bathsheba's husband Uriah to cover the affair. Now the thing is, Nathan was sent by God, and Nathan being a prophet, calls David on his hypocrisy in 2 Samuel 12. And he does this via a story. You know, isn't that like the Bible? The story is really about a rich man and a poor man. It's not about comparing the two. Basically, each individual has a flock of lambs. When the rich man receives a visitor to his home, the rich man decides basically to steal from the poor man, be lazy about it, and have the poor man's lamb be the meal for the rich man and the visitor. And the funny thing is, is that it's what David does next. David then explodes in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. You're the man, said Nathan. This is the type of person we need in our lives also, you know, or thought you need, okay? When David gets angry, Nathan basically says that David is the rich man from the story. Nathan calls him out right off the bat. Remember, we screw up just as much as others, but we cannot be hypocrites in our dealings with hypocritical or really any person. You know, we're not here to fix people. You know, we're going to let Jesus and God do that. What we are here to do is help guide them. Guide them out of sin, guide them out of situations, you know, help them out. If you feel like you are about to be trapped or astray in your dealings with hypocritical people, just remember this passage from Psalms 51. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a new week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Well, that does it for this long double session that that concludes our series Relational Vampires. Now be sure to check this and all our past episodes on YouTube, Odyssey, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Links to the different channels are below in the comments below. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, even comment. We'd like to hear from you. You know, hit that reminder bell when you do so so you can get informed when new episodes are posted or even when we go live. And talking about going live, game nights are Tuesdays and Thursdays starting at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We are not changing games based on the series anymore, okay? 
we will play till we're finished or basically bored out of our gourd, or you tell us you're bored out of your gourd. You know, whichever comes first, okay? Um, and just to let you know, head over to greaterguild.com, all one word, for more information regarding our guild, how to volunteer and donate, as your contributions to the Greater Guild, you know, we are able to create programs like, you know, today's Sunday message, the game nights we have coming up, and our charitable works here in the U.S. and abroad. So thank you for listening, 